So in September of 2020, uh, Forbes magazine dedicated its cover story to a man named Charles Chuck, that's what people called him, Feeney, Charles Feeney. Now Chuck is the co-founder of the duty-free shops that you see in airports worldwide. Any, anybody ever shop at a duty-free shop in an airport? I'm the only one. Miss Margaret has. Thank you. All right. So you, you're, you're familiar with them. You've been there. Um, I'll never forget the first time I was a teenager. My grandparents were taking me to Europe. We were in the Atlanta airport and, and we're in the international terminal at the time. And, it, and it's like, hey, what is this store? And they're telling me because I was like, what's duty? You know, like duty. Um, what is that? And so we, they started talking about it. They started talking about how the system works and everything. And at that point in time, Jakar cologne was the stuff if you were a teenager. And I'm like, you mean to tell me that I could purchase this cologne and not have to pay tax on it? Like I can save a whole $6 and, and, and I could buy it right now and have it. And so my parents, they gave me money to spend on souvenirs. And my first souvenir, my first purchase of this trip to Europe was in the duty-free shop in the Atlanta airport, and I used that cologne about 10 times and uh, never used it again. Um, uh, you know, the teenage boys, right? Um, so this guy, Chuck, he founded the duty-free shops, and he, and he put these in airports uh, starting in the 60s. That's how far this goes back, and their success became very popular, and he has several stores in every major airport in the world, right? And Chuck became... Very wealthy, well, very wealthy, extremely quick. But before selling out, his net worth was valued at $8 billion. The article describes Chuck as one who lived life like a monk. And he was extremely frugal. Even as a billionaire, he was always looking for a wave a way to save money on common, everyday purchases. Coupons. When he goes to the grocery, a billionaire is clipping coupons to save money. But here's the thing. It wasn't his wealth or his business IQ that had Forbes writing articles about his life. It was the fact that he openly desired to die broke. That's right. The, the, the Thenies wanted to see their wealth do good around the world with their own eyes. And so their desire as a married couple was they wanted to die in their eyes broke. So they set aside, Mr. and Miss Feeney set aside $2 million for their own retirement. And Chuck and his wife began a several decade journey of giving away all of their wealth. In other words, don't miss this. They gave away 375,000% more money than his current net worth of $2 million. He coined the phrase, giving while living. And this brought Charles Feeney great joy and satisfaction. And during this journey of giving while living, the Feeneys downsized their lifestyle drastically. They sold homes, that's right, homes, plural. 
They sold cars. They sold land. They bought a two-bedroom apartment that the author of this article says was very much like a dorm room that you would find in college. Can you imagine? I mean, just can you imagine what that is like? He kept very little for himself, giving away 375,000% of what he is worth. And I sit here and I think about it. Most of us, most of us are trying to amass wealth. We're, we're trying to save and invest so that we can retire well and so that we can pass things on to the next generation. Like, like that's the goal for most. But this guy who's just got billions of dollars, he's like, I want to die broke. I, I've been to this place. I, I want to give as much away as I possibly can. You know, Jesus observed something in the temple that has some profound implications on our lives if we want to become like Him. If you have your Bibles, turn Luke chapter 21, 1 through 4. This is our, our, our main passage today, and it's going to be what we talk about in our life groups this week. Um, it, it's familiar. But there's two lessons I want to share with you from this passage. So let's read it together. Jesus looked up and saw the church, saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small, two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. So there's two things that speak out to me in this passage that I want to share with you. The first is this. Jesus is watching. Like, like He's there. He's, he's in the temple and he's observing behavior. He, he's watching everybody come and go and the things that they're doing. He is watching what people are giving back to God. Now, this is a truth spoken in the Sermon on the Mount that we're familiar with in Matthew, right? Like, like Jesus is up there and he's preaching and he's talking about giving. And he says, our giving isn't or shouldn't be about humanized. It shouldn't be about what other people observe, but it's about the eyes of the Father. If you remember, this is what Jesus said, right? Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. And so there's Jesus in the temple. He's watching. See, it was custom for the rich to draw attention to their giving habits. They, they would make a big ordeal. They, they, would, they would rattle the change purse a little bit to know. They would let it clump when, it, when they dropped it into the, to the offering plate. They, they would draw attention to themselves. And, and, and Jesus didn't just do this with giving. He did it with the Pharisees with everything. He, he's always calling them out about, about their behavior and drawing attention, attention to themselves. And He says, let your giving be between you and God. And know that the Father sees everything. Everything. I mean, it doesn't matter. We're getting our statements, end of year statements back today. I mean, it doesn't matter what's on that page as far as human eyes. It, what matters is what's on that page from God's eyes and what He sees. Because He knows everything and He sees everything. Not just what you give, 
but what you don't do. Winston Churchill said this, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. It is said of Charles Feeney that he had great joy and satisfaction in his life. Not from the amount that he made, but from what he was able to give. And his life is remembered not as a billionaire, but a generous man who gave away more than he kept. He was remembered and is remembered not by how much he made, but by how much he gave away. Look at the story again. Let's read it one more time. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Warren Wiersbe notes this about this story. When it comes to our giving God, who sees everything, sees more than the portion that we put in. He also sees the proportion. Men see what is given, but God sees what is left. And by that, He measures the gift and the conditions of the heart that give. And that's the second lesson in this story. It's a lesson that I've missed most of the time. This is not about how much we give, but about how much we keep for ourselves. And the widow came along. And maybe it was just out of desperation. Maybe it was what, uh, who knows what it was. We don't know her motives, but we know, according to Jesus, that she gave everything. And, and you go, you, you know this as well as I do. When it comes to perseverance, when it comes to, to saving life, when it comes to, I've got to meet my needs, we're going to do whatever we have to. And, and, and Michael is sitting there, he's walking by, and he's like, man, i got two small copper coins. I could, I could throw this in here, and there's plenty of money. I mean, the temple, the temple is there, the temple gets plenty of money, that's all there. No one's going to miss this little bit that I have. And so I'm going to keep it for myself because I don't have anything else to live on. That's most likely Michael's attitude. And this widow walks by and she drops in the two small copper coins. And what Jesus is noting is not how much she gave, but the fact that she didn't keep anything for herself. And I get it. Like, like we're sitting here and we're challenged with this story and the Old Testament is full of examples and commands that, hey, we're, we're only supposed to give 10%. I mean, like that's the, that's the typical goal for most Christians. Hey, hey let, let me just give 10%. And if you're really generous, you give it off the gross instead of the net. And, you know, you know hey, well, 10%. Like that's what we've been told. Here's a deeper thought I want you to think about. Does your wealth affect your relationship with God? Does your attitude toward wealth hinder your relationship with God? 
See, what matters is not the amount that one gives, but the amount that one keeps for oneself. In the present case of the widow, she gave all that she had, and therefore she expressed her tremendous faith in God to provide for her needs. And here's the thing with money. Okay, here's the thing with money for most people, right? It's a control issue. I'll give away some of my money because it's kind of expected, but I'll manage the rest for me. I'll, I'll save, I'll invest, I'll, I'll buy, I'll, I'll use the rest. And we quote Bible verses from the Old Testament to kind of back that up. And, and, and here's the thing, giving in America right now, it, I mean, it's tanked. By churchgoers, the, the only 5% of churchgoers actually give even a 10%. And I, that's, I, I don't think that about LifeBridge. I, I told our sermon team that this past week. I, I don't think that percentage applies to this church. I really and truly with all my heart believe that, that this church is generous way beyond the 5%. You remember the story of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus? He asked the question, what do I have to do to have eternal life? What do I have to do to get in there with you at the end of time? He and Jesus have this conversation. And he admits, I've kept all the commands. I've done everything that I am supposed to do. Right? Like, I mean, when it comes to, when, when it comes to obedience, this guy has checked most of the boxes. And Jesus tells him to do two things, right? You remember the story? He tells him to do two, to, to do two things. I want you to sell, to give away all your possessions, everything that you have. Give it away. Give it to the poor. You don't even have to bring it to the temple. Just take everything that you have and just downsize completely and give it all away. And then the second thing is I want you to come and I want you to follow me. And it says that the guy left sad. Because he had tremendous wealth. And, and here's the thing that we miss. If, if this is a Jewish man, and it says that he kept all the commands, guess what he was already doing? He was already tithing. He was already giving 10%. And Jesus is like, yeah. That's not enough. Because you want control of that money. And it, the control of that money was an issue for this man. And Jesus wants to know that we are willing to trust Him. He, he wants to know that, that we are willing to sacrifice and to give up everything in order to follow Him, to become like Him. And He points out this widow. Look at her. I mean, all these religious leaders are walking by the rich. They're, they're dropping their money in. They're giving out of their abundance. But this lady trusts in me. So it's a trust issue. Have you ever thought about the amount of trust that we have in the day-to-day -day moments of life? Huh? I... I, I, I... I mean, we trust in so many things without even thinking about it. Like doctors. 
Well, we, we, we trust them. They've gone to school. They've practiced medicine, and it's an ongoing thing. They've got access to lots of information. And, and we go to doctors, and, and we say, hey, here's my ailment. And then we listen to their advice. They prescribe medicine or treatment or whatever the case may be, and, and we just follow right along. The medical community will tell you the worst thing that has happened is Google. Let me, let me get on and let me diagnose myself. We, 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 we trust restaurants. We, we, got, we got into this in our sermon team. We, we, we used to trust restaurants, okay? But we, we trust that we're going to place an order and we're going to get it. And it's going to be delivered fresh. It's going to be delivered hot. It's going to be delivered timely. We just we order and we, we expect that. Mechanics, the same thing. We're, we're going to bring our car in and we're going to tell the mechanic, well, it's making this noise, or whatever the noise is, and your mechanic's going to take that. They're going to say, okay, it's making that noise. Well, let me go out here and now figure out what it is. And they're going to call you up and they're going to say, well, it's this. You're out of blinker fluid or something like that. You know, what, whatever the case may be, you know, it, it, they're going, you, you're going to trust them. Banks, we trust that we're going to put money in there and it's going to be deposited into our account and we're going to sit there and we're going to look it up on Monday or Tuesday on our apps and the money's going to be there. Like, like there's so many things in the day-to-day we all trust, every single one of us, believes that when we walk out of here and we get to our car, when we stick the key in or push the button, whatever, that the car is going to crank. We trust these institutions, we trust these moments because of the track record that we have with them. Are restaurants perfect? No. But more times than not, they get the order right. Are doctors perfect? No. But more times than not, they get it right. In your lifetime, these moments of mechanics, I mean, they they get it right more than they get it wrong. And so we automatically trust in them. More than once, God promises you and I great things when we trust Him with our earthly possessions. You should think about that. The Bible is full of promises when it comes to our earthly possessions and giving. And you may think so, but I can tell you this. God has never let you down. God as a Perfect track record. Do we trust God with our finances? He was talking, Jesus was talking, Luke records it. He says, just give and you will receive. Like, I love this. Your gift will return to you in full. Pressed down, shaken together to make room for more. Running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Talked about it last week. Second Corinthians, right? How much are you going to sow? 
what you're going to harvest. You sow a little, you're not going to get much back. You sow a lot, you're going to get a lot back. God has never failed you. And all he is saying is, look here, this thing, money, it's an issue for many of you. And, and you, you sit here and you, you hold on to it. But he's like, test me. Te test me. The, the, the passage is Malachi chapter 3, right? We, we've, we've read it before. Starting in verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me. The whole nation of you. Bring the whole, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And therefore put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. And your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. He's talking to a broken nation. Malachi is the prophet to, to the Hebrews when they left <coughs> Babylonian exile and they came back. And you got Nehemiah trying to build the city back up, build the walls. You got Ezra, he's a prophet there. And you, and you got this, this little known prophet, Malachi, speaking to the people. And he's challenging God's people. And then he's telling, he's telling them, this is the message from God. You're, you're keeping this from me. I'm God. I don't need this stuff. Because it's not about you giving it to me. It's about your allegiance. And so he tells them, test me. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. And there's going to be food. When you test me, I will open up the windows. I will open up the floodgates of blessings upon your life. And, and you want to know the thing that took place in the history of mankind that happened shortly after this? God went silent for 400 years. And I can't help but think of, of this people group, God's chosen people who have been restored and they've, they've come back to Jerusalem, they've come back home, they've been freed from exile, and, and they're here, they're in this place. And, and God's like, just, just test me. And, and I, my hunch, and I don't know this, so just take it with a grain of salt that it is. My hunch, they didn't. 400 years of silence. But God is telling you, challenges to you, test you. 
in that same Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is teaching. He talks about giving a couple of different times. The last time he talks about it in this particular sermon. He challenges the people. He doesn't talk about tithing. He says these words. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In my mind, I picture this widow. It would be real noble if I gave 50% of everything I have. Like from a percentage-wise place, I, I, I would outgive everybody else if I gave 50%. She dropped everything she had, trusting in the Lord. Because her treasure is not here on earth. Our treasure is in heaven. Do we trust the Lord with our finances?